I want you to find in the scriptures this morning, the book of Luke chapter eight. And while you're looking for that, let me remind you what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter four. We've been in a series for the last several weeks. We're calling guarding the heart. And that comes from these words here in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. And I'll read it to you from several translations. The Bible says, keep your heart. Again, Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. I like the New Living Translation that says it this way, guard your heart. I do this when I'm studying scripture. I like to look in various translations because our English language is so limited. And sometimes it takes two, three, four words or more from our language to really unpack what one word in the Hebrew or the Greek and some of these other ancient languages were saying. And so sometimes when I'm studying scripture, I like to look at all the different ways it comes out. And that's why I give you these different translations. Because that same word in the Hebrew translated keep, you could also translate it like this, guard, guard it. To keep it is to guard it. That's why I said guard your heart. I like these words here, above all else. And here's why. For it, what it? Your heart, it. Your heart determines the course of your life. It's your heart. Wherever you are right now in life, your heart brought you right here. That can be a sobering thought, but we're reading scripture, aren't we? This is what the word of God says. Your heart is what determines the course of your life. The Young's literal translation of this says, above every charge. And like we've said in the weeks before, that's what the book of Proverbs is, is one charge after another from a father to a son. It's a charge concerning the wisdom of God. It's charging him concerning relationships. He charges him in financial matters and in legal matters. In just about every imaginable arena of life, this father gives charges to his son. 31 chapters of this. But in chapter four, in this verse we're looking at, he said, above every charge. More important than anything I've said to you, son, I'm telling you, keep your heart. Guard it. For out of it are the outgoings of life. I like the God's word translation that says, guard your heart more than anything else. So that means you need, you need to put up a guard over your heart more than you guard your finances, more than you guard your physical body, your physical health, more than anything in this life that you try to build security systems around. You need one around your heart. You need it around your heart. Your heart is worth protecting. Guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. And then you begin to understand what he said in the verses leading up to it. Verse 20, this is why he said, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. And look at these three words right here. Keep them in. Say those with me. Keep them in. You realize that's what a guard does. A guard performs two functions. A guard keeps things out and a guard keeps things in. And as he's talking to his son, he's saying, come on, pay attention to my words. In other words, there's a lot of different words out there you could be paying attention to. These are the ones that need your attention. These are the ones that are worth your attention. I like that he, we even use that word, pay. Pay. 
When you pay for something, it's because it costs that. It's, it's that value is on it. And when you're willing to pay for it, that's the value you put on it. When you pay attention, what you're saying is what I'm focused on right now is valuable. And what the father's saying to his son is my words are valuable. There's a lot of words out there that are cheap. Have you heard that before? Talk is cheap. Unless it's coming out of the mouth of God, then it is anything but cheap. It's precious. It's weighty. It's valuable. That's why we pay not with money, with attention, with focus, pay attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes and then do what? Keep them in, keep them in your heart. Well, the only way to keep it in is to set up a guard, right? And the guard's got to do the job. That's why we talked last week about the peace of God. We've been singing about it today. I love this. I got peace like a river. Well, that peace that passes all understanding, according to the scriptures, is a guard that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And the big reason you need to set up a guard over the heart is because this is the part of you God's looking at. When he's looking at you, he's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. And we saw that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the prophet went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. Uh, Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son and said, surely the Lord's anointed. Surely this has got to be him, right? He's the oldest. He's the tallest. He's the best looking. He's the strongest out of this crew. Surely this is the one. But the Lord said to him, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what I want to get into today is not just the Lord looking at the heart, but what's he looking for? We know he's looking at it, but when he's looking at it, what's he looking for? Evidently, there were things going on in the older son that caused the Lord to refuse him. And it wasn't an outward thing. It wasn't because God looked at him and said, yeah, he's, you know, he would work, except I just don't know if he's got that body mass index that I'm really looking for. Or, uh, you know, he's, he's a little on the slender side or what well, didn't have anything to do with that. He's looking at the heart. So the next question has to be, okay, God, if you're looking there, then what are you looking for? In the book of Matthew chapter five, I want to put up verse eight, hold your place there in Luke eight, but, but just look at this on the screen for me. Matthew chapter five, verse eight. These are the words of Jesus. I want you to notice what he had to say here about the heart. He said, blessed, I like other translations that talk about happy or this word blessed, meaning one of them says spiritually prosperous. We say this every week, don't we? We are prospering in every area of our lives, but what area comes first? Spirit. There is no prospering physically until you're prospering spiritually. There is no prospering financially. Not true prosperity. You can have a bunch of stuff and a bunch of money, but if you're not prospering spiritually, you're a poor man with money. Jesus said spiritually prosperous are who? the pure in heart. So here's one of the first things that God's looking for 
when he's looking at the heart. Spiritually prosperous are the pure in heart. Why? Because they get to see God. The pure in heart get to see God. Now you got to be so watchful over these scriptures you've heard over and over and over again. Especially if you've grown up in church. I was a, a, a church rat. I mean, I mean, I grew up in church. I've thought of different times about writing a book called My Life on the Front Row. <laughs> the trials and triumphs of a full-time preacher's kid. Because that was my life, man. And you hear these verses and there's ones, I've heard them, you've heard them. Uh, you probably, if you grew up in children's church, maybe had to memorize some of these. We called them the Beatitudes. And who even knows what one of those are? A Beatitude? What does it even mean? Well, evidently this is one of them. But you got to be watchful over those things you've heard so many times because you start to sort of glancing over them or you assume you know everything there is to know about it. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit this morning to think a little deeper about what it means to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Spiritually prosperous are the pure in heart because they see God. They shall see God. And I think there's been a shallow understanding of it that has limited that to thinking, if, you, if you're pure enough in heart, man, if you got it going on in the heart and you ain't got no sin in there and you ain't thinking any bad thoughts and you ain't sinned in, you know, days, then surely you're pure enough that one day soon you're going to wake up and Jehovah's going to be sitting at the foot of your bed going, hey, what's up? I see God. Or you're going to be driving down the road. Oh, look, kids, there's God. But you know this. You know this. He's not seen with these physical eyes. He's not perceived with any of your five physical senses before he's perceived and seen in the heart. Or maybe we've understood seeing God like, you know, when this life is over, you're dead and gone here, you're in heaven and to da there he is. Finally, you get to see him. And sure, you will and I will and I'm excited about it, looking forward to it. But I don't think that's anything near the fullness of what it means to see God. If you're really a believer, a child of God, with a heart for God, then this is probably if not, it should be one of the highest things on your priority list. Lord, I want to see you. But there again, it's not seen him with your physical eyes. So then what is it? It's with the eyes of your heart. You want to see him when others don't. You want to recognize him when the rest of the world can't. See, many people look up into the night sky and they see a bunch of cosmic coincidence, randomness. But when you look up, you see the creation from the hand of the creator. You're seeing God. You see what I'm saying? A lot of people look into the scripture, open the Bible and they look at it. And what do they see? Printed words on a page, a bunch of old men's ancient, outdated ideas. But when you open it, that's not what you see. You see a book that's alive. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That thing, when you open it up, you see God. 
when other people don't. People look at their relationships in their lives and they think of it as random run-ins. Huh? These people that are brought into their lives. How'd we stumble into each other? I don't know. But you and I, because we see God, we see him in each other. I was just telling somebody yesterday, again, the story about Sarah and I and how we met and how we fell in love and got married. And they asked, and I told them the same thing I tell everybody. I'll tell you the story, but it'll make you believe in God. Because when I look at what the Lord did in putting us together and how she lived in Branson, Missouri, and I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and before we ever met each other, the Lord had spoken to us about each other and said we were going to marry each other. It's an awesome story. I'll tell you someday. It's really good. (laughs) But I see God in it. I see God in it. There are people that see what we do in here as a crutch of religion as tradition and habit and worthless. When I come in here, I see God. I see him in you. I see him in what he's doing in this place. I see him in how he took this place from nothing and turned it into something. And in a short amount of time, put a bunch of people in this room, hungry for him, excited about, I see God in it. I see him. And what we do is not worthless, it's worship and it's real. And yeah, you don't see him with your physical eyes. I don't either, but I do see him. Anybody else? You see him. You see him at work in us. So when Jesus said the pure in heart will see God, what he's saying is you'll see things that others won't and that others don't. I see him in this. Thank you, Lord. What many call religion, we call relationship. What many call good luck and good fortune, we call grace and the blessing of the Lord. Thank you, Father. That's because we see something other people don't. But notice what Jesus said. How do you come to the place where you see those things? What enabled you to see it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And you hear people say all the time, well, I never see anything. I never see God. I don't see any miracles. I don't look in the sky and see God. And they think what they're saying is an indictment against him. But what they're actually doing is voicing this self-convicting indictment of the condition of their own heart. So be careful. I never see anything. I never see God. Well, Jesus said the pure in heart do. So if you don't, it's a heart matter. It's a heart condition because he's there to be seen. I said, he's there to be seen, eager to reveal himself, eager to show himself strong. But he said, it's the pure in heart that get to see it. Well, talk a little bit about the pure in heart. And what that means, because maybe there's some misunderstanding about that. But you're there in Luke chapter 8. And I want to get down to verse 15, but you really have to have some context of what this whole, the the verses leading up to this are about. You see this here in Luke chapter 8. It's the same thing you see in Matthew chapter 13. You see it in Mark chapter 4. It's what people call the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. 
And without taking time to read the whole thing, Jesus tells this parable and he said, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he said, some seed fell on the wayside ground and the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground. Now that kind of paints a picture of ground with a bunch of rocks sitting out on top, but that's not what that means. Stony ground was a reference to that layer of stone that was just beneath the layer of dirt. And he said that seed fell on it and it sprang up. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and it withered away. He said some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked it and it became unfruitful. But then he said some seed fell on good ground and it produced uh, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Then when he was explaining this parable to his disciples, He said some key things and you got to put all the accounts together to get the whole picture. But one thing he said to them was, look, if you don't understand this, how then will you understand any of them? So there are master keys in what Jesus said in these few verses that unlock much of the rest of scripture, much of the rest of his teaching and his parables. There's some powerful stuff in here. And you can see that when Jesus began to explain the parable and said, the sower sows the word. Somebody say the word. word. Now remember, what are we doing here? We're keeping his words, keeping them in. We're inclining our ears to him. We're putting them in front of our eyes, keeping them in the midst of our heart. He said, the sower sows the word. So that was the seed, right? The seed was the word. And he said, these are they who on the wayside where the word was sown. And what you begin to see here is that, the, is that the word got sown four times, but only worked once. Now that really kind of catches my attention. Like I told you, I grew up in church and not just church or any church. It was word. We were really emphatic about the word. And man, it was word at church. It was word at home to the point as a kid where it was like, you kind of roll your eyes because every time you went to mom and dad for anything, it was like, well, what's the word say? What's the word say? What's the word say? And finally you're like, I don't know. Tell me. Then I'll know. And I can tell you what the word says. But that's what it was like at our house all the time. What's the word say? We went to the word for everything. And I grew up with this understanding and this impression that, that, man, the word of God had answers and the word of God had power in it. And the word of God had healing in it. And the word of God had provision in it. And the word of God had restoration in it. And that's right. That's the truth. But it startles me as this word kid to find out out of the mouth of Jesus that the word got sown four times and failed to produce anything 75% of the time. Does that catch anybody else's attention? Now, if you're new to the church, well, I guess we all kind of are, aren't we? Uh, Newer than others, or listen, if you plan on sticking around a while, you're going to come to realize we put that same emphasis on the word of God and we let his word set our expectation. We don't let any experience that we've had or anybody else has had be the limit of our expectation. We let God and his word set it. So if his word says you can be saved, you can be saved. And if his word says you can be healed by the stripes of Jesus, 
We let that word set the expectation. If his word promises to provide for you in every area of your life, if his word says, we may even get to this today, beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Let that word set the expectation. But if you're going to expect that and you're not satisfied with living with excuses for why it's not working, then you're going to have to be honest about some things. Because I dare say that much of the rest of the family of God, the body of Christ, when they recognize that some got healed and some didn't, as opposed to letting the word tell them why, you just chalk it up to sovereignty and say sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. I'll tell you something. That's convenient because it requires nothing from you. It doesn't require you to press in. Doesn't require you to find out for yourself what Jesus said about this. He's telling you right here. If it didn't work, here's why. And we're going to believe these things and we're going to expect these things, but we've got to be honest. And I'm going to talk to you more about that here in a second. But we've got to be honest. Who in here would raise a hand and say, you know somebody or even are somebody that didn't receive something you prayed for? I would raise a hand. Yeah. Well, what happened? Well, sometimes he does, you know, and we don't know and he's sovereign. Sometimes he doesn't and we just, we just, we just don't know. Not according to Jesus. He helps us understand here why the word wasn't working. But let me just sort of jump out ahead and, and, and give it away a bit. It wasn't the word's fault. Because the moment this seed produced some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, you know right away, nothing wrong with this seed. It wasn't the fault of the seed. Now, if you were to stop after three kinds of ground and it hadn't produced anything, you might think, man, maybe this seed's faulty. Maybe there's something wrong with this. But the moment it worked, I said, the moment it worked, you know right then, nothing wrong with the seed. So then where's the problem? The ground. And he said, there's those that got sown on the wayside ground. And he said, the birds came and devoured that wayside ground without getting into all of it. We're going to take time and look at each one of these, but it's just hard ground. It's just packed. It was the ancient world's equivalent of concrete. And if seed were to fall on concrete, it, it wouldn't penetrate, right? It can't get in. And he said, that's what that wayside ground is. It's seed that falls on hard ground. And because it didn't get in, or you could say because it wasn't received, he said, birds came and devoured it. He said, that's when it falls on that kind of ground in somebody's life, Satan comes immediately and steals the word. So hard ground is what? Hard heart. It's a heart hardened and the word couldn't penetrate. And if it never got in, it can't take root. And if it can't take root, then it can't bear fruit or it can't produce anything. We'll talk more about it. The second kind of ground, he said, was that stony ground. And like I said, it's got that layer of stone just beneath the surface of the earth. And he said that actually sprang up. 
So you'll see here, these things are progressive. The first one didn't even get in. Second one, it got in, but it didn't go deep. It didn't take root. And that's what Jesus said, because it didn't have a root. Then when it sprang up, the sun was up and it scorched it and it withered away. And he said, these are those that heard the word and they received it with joy. So that first group didn't even receive it. Didn't want anything to do with it. Didn't let it in. This next group, now this is, we're talking like worldwide population here. And these numbers still bear to be true, I believe even today. You got a lot of people here in the word. A lot of them not doing anything with it not receiving it. It's not getting in. You got a smaller group though that is hearing it going, okay, amen. They received it, Jesus said, with joy. Woo! Say amen, somebody. And that's like sitting up in church, getting all excited about what you hear. Good word, preacher. Say that. Say it again. Preach it. Getting all excited about it. Getting up, turning around, walking out the door. And the moment the pressure is on, And that's what Jesus said when persecution and tribulation arise for the word's sake, he said, immediately they're offended. Uh Uh-oh, offended. What happened? How did somebody become offended? It's not just offended at another person. As bad as that is, it was offended for the word's sake. And the word offended literally means to separate, disconnect. The word can't work from somebody in somebody's life who is disconnected from it. You've got to abide in it. So why did they disconnect? Pressure, persecution, tribulation. They heard some good promise of God and said, amen, I believe that, I receive that. And when it didn't happen at like Monday by 8.30 a.m., it's like, this stuff doesn't work, I'm out of here. So you see, it's progressive. One group didn't hear it. One group heard it but didn't stick with it. How are roots developed? One way, time. Time. You can't develop quick roots. Roots take time. And the more time you give it, the stronger the root is, the deeper the root goes. And if you'll stick with it and stay with it, no matter what kind of heat is turned up on you, no matter what kind of persecution or tribulation or pressure you are under, I'm sticking with this word. This is my word and I'm sticking to it. This is God's word and I'm sticking to it. I'm not disconnecting from it. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I feel. You stay with it. You stay with it. You stay with it. Soon you're going to have some roots and roots will produce some fruits. It's not good English, but it'll stick with you. And then finally, Jesus talked about thorny ground. And again, we're going to take some more time with each of these because each one has to do with a heart. Hard ground, hard heart. Shallow ground, shallow heart. No depth. Then he talked about thorns. And he said, these are they sown among the thorns. When they hear the word, it actually took root. See the progression? It sprang up, but here's the deal. Something else got in. The cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. So you got the word growing and that's good, but you got this other stuff growing right up next to it, alongside of it. And what Jesus said is going to happen is that those thorns would choke out the word and make it unfruitful. I think there's a lot of people living right there. You got people who've heard the word and received it and thank God for it. You got people who've 
stuck with it, been, you know, in church a long time and, and been hearing the word a long time, but still going, man, why isn't this thing working? Why isn't it producing what my pastor said it would? Why isn't it producing what I see in the word? The next question is, did something else get in? Is there, are there cares growing up next to that word? Is there anxiety and stress and worry growing up next to that word? Because if there is, then somewhere it got past the guard. If there's thorns in the ground, there's cares in the heart. You can see we need to take some time with that. But here's what I want to do is just jump right to the end of this. <laughs> and look at what Jesus said about good ground. Anybody interested in being good ground? In Luke chapter eight, verse 15, he said, but the ones that fell on good ground, say it, good ground. The ones that fell on what? Good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart. Notice that good ground, good heart. What do they do? Keep it. They keep it. Or you could say they guard it. And if they keep it and guarded, what happens? They bear fruit with patience. There's that time thing again. Good ground is ground that it can go deep into over time. But listen to it from the King James Bible. Chapter eight, verse 15, King James says, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. What kind of heart? Honest. An honest heart. So Jesus said, if you've got a pure heart, you get to see God. Or for the sake of what we're talking about, if you've got a pure heart, you get to see God work. You get to see God move. You get to see God do things he can't do just for everybody else. You get to see his word produce fruit with a pure heart. So what's a pure heart? Well, you could look at this and say a pure heart. Think about it in terms again of a garden or, or, or an issue, a spring coming out of you. If it's pure, if you got a glass of pure water, what are you saying? There's nothing else in here. Just the water. But then if you ask for cold drink of water and somebody gives you this glass and it's a little murky and kind of a brownish gray color with stuff floating in it. What do you say? No, thank you. Why? Because there's something else in that. Yeah, there might be some water in there, but there's also some other things and I don't know what they are, but I'm looking for something clean. I'm looking for something pure with nothing else in it. Do you realize that's what honesty is? It's purity. It's your word. It's the truth, not mixed with anything else. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Pure, honest. So a pure heart is an honest heart. And with an honest heart, what happens? You get to see God. And really, there's a word that I'm, I'm trying to get at here that, that I think best communicates what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about seeing God, I'm talking about intimacy. Get to see him 
in a way that others don't. Intimacy. With those close relationships in your life, your family, your spouse, man, you get to see them in a way that others don't. You get to see them without without them trying to impress anybody, without them so focused on the outward appearance. Am I right? There's intimacy there. And how do you say it, Lord? Intimacy requires honesty. You don't have intimacy without honesty. There's no way. As long as there's something hidden, as long as there's something you're withholding, even if it's from your husband or your wife, that is the limit to your intimacy. You can be as close to them as you are willing to be real with them. And this is what God's looking for. All you got to do is take a look at a few different scriptures and you find out how much he hates lying. He hates falseness. He hates fakeness. He hates pretense and pretending. Why? Because there's none of it in him. The book of Proverbs gives you, gives you a list. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Now, when you make a list of all the stuff you don't like, I bet it's longer than seven. And this is God we're talking about. It's a relatively short list. But go back and look at it. Lying makes the list twice. So two out of the top seven stuff that God hates, a lying tongue and those who bear false witness. He hates lying. Why? Because there's none of it in him. There's no darkness in him. It's pure light. There's no, there's no fakeness in him. It's pure truth. And however close you want to be to him, however intimate you want to be, whatever level of intimacy you desire, that's the level of honesty you're going to have to live with. That's why Ephesians says, put away lying. Man, you got to put it away. It's the same word Paul used in, in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talked about you and I growing up. He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. There are some things that when you're a child, you grow out of. You notice that? You grow out of it. Mostly it's clothes. There's, there's stuff. My mom's got a box of clothes at her house right now from when I was four years old. I can't wear a single thing out of that box. I grew out of it. There are other things though, listen to me, that if you don't put them away, they'll hang around forever. And you will be a 35, 45, 55 year old child because you failed to put some childish things away. That's the same word he used when he said put away lying. You got to put it away because there's none of it in him. None of that. And if you want to see him, when others don't, there can be none of it in you. Now, if you're telling a lie, if there's a lie coming out of your mouth, the only reason it's coming out of your mouth is because it first got where? In your heart. So telling lies is the result of believing lies. You don't tell a lie until you first believe one. And the quicker you are to believe a lie, guess what? The quicker you are to tell one. The easier it is to convince you of a lie, the easier it'll be for you to tell a lie. And you and I have probably a more unique challenge in this area than all of human history past. 
Because the world we live in is full of fake. And they are trying to sell it to you and sell it to me big time, all day, every day. And the sad truth is many people are buying into it. So much so that they couldn't even tell you the difference between what was real and what's fake. You got to feed on what's true. You got to get what's true in you if you want what's true coming out of you. Go to Mark chapter 7. Let me read a few verses to you here in Mark chapter 7. And you begin to get a sense of just how Jesus feels about this falseness, this, well, let me just read it. You'll see what I'm saying. Just begin in verse one. Mark seven, verse one says, the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault. You want to know why they found fault? Because they were looking for it. They were looking for it. And when you spend all your time looking for it, guess what you're going to do? Find it. And that's what these people were. Professional fault finders. And they saw some of his disciples again, verse two, eat bread with defiled, or you could say unclean hands. That is with unwashed hands and they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat. They won't do it unless they wash their hands, listen to this, in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Man, sometimes I feel like things are just kind of coming around and history's just repeating itself. I am a full grown man. And do you know I've got, I, it, it's rare to go into a public restroom without a sign now telling me how to wash my hands. <laughs> The current condition of this world, how many times over the last year have you been told over a loudspeaker or by others on television, wash your hands for 20 seconds. You wash them for 18, you're going to hell. Or you'll get sick, one of the two. Wash them, wash them this way, wash them this often. Folks, help me. Do we have these people living among us today? Here's what you're looking for. Outward stuff. So it wasn't even that the disciples ate without washing their hands. They just didn't wash them the way they said to. Outward stuff. Outward stuff. And they found fault with this. In verse four, when they came from the market, or it says when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Got to get that marketplace off you. And there are many other things which they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, couches. It's kind of an interesting translation. Just literally means what they would recline at, that piece of furniture they would recline at when they eat. These folks were, lack of a better word, obsessive, <laughs> compulsive over the washing. Washing, washing, washing. You have to have clean hands. God's looking at your hands. God's looking at your hands. Did you wash them right? Did you wash them long enough? Go back and wash them again. Go back and wash them again. Did you wash that cup? Don't drink out of that cup. Did you wash that cup? God's looking at that cup. He's looking at those hands. Help me. Is he? What's he looking at? 
The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders and eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, hypocrites. This word hypocrite is literally, it's a Greek word. You look up, look up that word in the original and it's the same word, hypocrite. It's a Greek word. And it's the word they used for an actor, an actor playing a part, a role he was born to play on a stage. It's like watching a movie and walking out and going, man, that guy's a good hypocrite. <laughs> That's what you're saying. You see her? She is an excellent hypocrite. And this year's best hypocrite award goes to, it's the same word. An actor on a stage, playing a role, playing, listen, this is the definition, playing the part of something they're not. A hypocrite. So you know what Jesus said to these guys? You're actors. You're reading a script. You're playing a part. But you're not this. This is not you. He said, Isaiah prophesied this about you. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but what? Their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Vain worship, you know what vain means? Powerless, producing nothing, like something getting sown on a piece of ground that can't produce anything. See, worship is supposed to produce something. Your worship is supposed to be powerful. Your worship is supposed to still the enemy. Your worship is supposed to open up the door of access to go to work in your heart, your home, your family, because what you worship, you give access to, what you attend to. But Jesus said, you're doing all of it with your lips, but your heart's somewhere else. It's not here. I don't know where it is, but it ain't here. You got all the words down. It's like memorizing a script. I worship you, I worship you, I worship you. Uh, line? Oh, I worship you, I worship you. God, you're awesome. God, we praise you. All these things sound great, don't they? If it ain't nothing but the outside, then it ain't nothing. If it's nothing but outward appearance, then it is nothing. It's vain and producing nothing. He said, your heart's far from me. You think he's looking at hands and pots and pitchers, but he's looking at the heart. He said in verse eight, the laying aside of the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and mother and he who curses father and mother, let it be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father, mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban or that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. That's like saying the, the word said, be a blessing to your father and mother. But tradition says, well, I gave in the offering, so I don't, I don't have to do anything for you. And they held on to tradition more than the word. And what happens was Jesus said in verse 13, making the word of God of no effect. It's not producing anything. Why? Because your heart's not in it. 
All the right words are coming out of your mouth. All the right things are coming off your lips, but your heart is somewhere else and the word's producing nothing. It's not working in your life. Let me ask you again. If you're not seeing God, is it a God problem? I never see him. I never see the word work. I never see all this healing they're talking about. I never see any of this provision I hear preached every week. Careful. You're revealing your own heart. There's something going on in the heart. Verse 14, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him or are unclean because of it. He's talking about an impure heart. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he, had, when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, it's eliminated, pure, eliminated purifying all foods. He said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. It's not the washing of the hands. And maybe we understand that, but what have we replaced that with? Because the Bible said there are many that have a form of godliness, but deny the power. What have we gotten good at putting on the outside when your heart's somewhere else? And you got to watch this. You have got to set up a guard over this. And I'm telling you this morning, if something's not working, if you've been expecting to see God do something and it's been days, weeks, months, and years and it's like, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. Run right back here. Check this right here. Where is the heart? Where is it? Find it. All the right things. I'm saying all the right things. Right? I'm coming to church. I'm worshiping. I'm dancing. I got that Holy Ghost jig. I mean, I'm praising and it ain't doing nothing. I'm not seeing anything. Well, Jesus said the pure in heart would see. And what's purity? Honesty. If you want intimacy, it requires honesty. People think so much of the time that it's their sin that builds a wall between them and God. I've just done so many things wrong. I've just missed it in so many different ways. And I did it again yesterday. And I just, just got this wall between me and God. Man, it's almost laughable because when you think like that, you fail to realize the power in the cleansing blood of Jesus. Sin can't put a wall between you and God, but what can put a wall between you and God is pretending that there is none, pretending that you didn't sin, pretending that you didn't miss it. Are you following me? There can be no pretense there can be no pretending. 
In Luke chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. Verse 20 though, in the New Living Translation said, uh, watching for their opportunity, talking about these same religious people, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. If you're pretending to be honest, what are you? Not honest, dishonest. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so they could arrest him, pretending to be honest. So the title of this message today is Let's Be Honest. And that's it. Let's be honest. What do you suppose would happen if we were honest? Let's be honest. Let me just give you a few scriptures here in closing. Let's be honest with each other. Ephesians 4.25 says, I mentioned this earlier, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let's be honest. You want intimacy in your relationships? Let's be honest. Now that does not mean you get this green light to go say everything you see and everything you find wrong and everything you find fault with. Don't jump in that Pharisee camp. That's not what this is at all about. Be honest with what you see in you. Be honest with what's going on in your own heart. Be honest with each other. Let's be honest with ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse three in the New Living says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Notice what he said. Be honest. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Be honest. You know, you got, you got to be honest about who you are. You got to be honest about where you are. Brother Keith Moore, our pastor, I've said it so many times. I heard him say it and it stuck with me. He said, God will meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. He'll meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. You know, when you get a hold of the truth, when anybody gets the truth, it does one of two things. It either makes you glad or it makes you mad. That's what the truth will do. I was looking at this in scripture. If we had time, we'd look at it. Maybe some other time. You can come back. You still go to church here next week? Because you like your church? Oh, you love your church. Okay. So you come more than every once in a while? Because you like it? You love it. I see. Okay. That makes me feel good. But I was reading this. What was that, Lord? Um, it was John chapter 8. Jesus had just been interrupted in his message by the Pharisees. Again, looking for people looking to find fault in him. And they, they brought this woman they said they had caught in adultery. Interesting, they just brought her. You can't commit adultery by yourself. It's... It's group act, well, whatever. <laughs> they brought her and threw her down and uh, said, you know, Moses said we stone her, what do you say? And Jesus just began to wait. Wait on the wisdom of God, wait on a word from God, wait on the witness of the Spirit. And he stood up and said, he who among you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. So if any one of these guys had dared to throw a stone at this woman, it would have just proved total dishonesty. That's why they dropped those rocks and walked away. 
Jesus went from that and he said something that made the rest of those leaders standing there mad. He said, I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. And he began to talk to them about truth. And he began to talk to them about how the truth was in him and how uh, he was true because of the witness and how th that he was a witness of the father and the father was a witness of him. And it went on verse after verse after verse. And these guys fought him at every turn. Who's your father? Where's your father? Who's your daddy? You talking father? Let me see him. Lord, where's he at? And Jesus just keeps talking to him and they keep fighting him. And then he talks about going away and they said, will he commit suicide? These guys are not tracking. They don't know what's going on. They're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And he just keeps talking it, talking it, talking it. And you get to the end of it. And you know what it says? And many of them believed. Now, many is not all, but many did. Now, this is the same group that was just fighting it. But here's what I'm saying to you. If you'll just keep listening, if you'll just keep getting the truth in you, even if it makes you mad, even if the word of God shines a light on you and you see you ain't been living that, you ain't been talking that, you, uh, mm, but you just keep hearing it and you feed on truth instead of lies. Listen to me, church. If you're not reading your Bible, then you have no truth going in you and you are easily fooled and you will live lies and tell lies. Read your Bible like every day because what's happening, truth is getting in you. Truth is getting in you. Truth is getting in you. And in a world of fake, you'll be able to recognize it. You'll be, you'll be able to see that's not true. That ain't real. That's not right because you got truth going in. And it was out of that that Jesus said, if you'll continue in my word, just keep the word, keep the truth going in. You'll be my disciple. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's either going to make you mad or it's going to make you glad. And if it makes you mad, stay with it till it makes you glad. But that's what's happening right now all over the world. People are hearing truth. Some are getting angry at it, rejecting it. But smart people are receiving it. Amen. Amen. So let's be honest. Get the truth in us. Be honest with each other. Be honest with ourselves. You know, we got to be honest with God. Jesus, I'll read this to you. There's, there's so many. I was looking at this at five o'clock this morning going, Lord, where do you shut it off? How do you stop this? There's so much. But in Luke chapter 18, you find that. Let me read this to you first. No, let's do it this way. Luke 18, in verse 10, Jesus was telling another parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, listen to these words, stood and prayed thus with himself. What's that tell you? Nobody else listening to this. Not even God. He prayed thus with himself. It's coming out of his lips. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
I want you to contrast that to this, verse 13. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Intimacy requires honesty. Honesty requires humility. Be honest. Musicians, you guys begin to come up. Be honest. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I I want you to stir up. I'm reminded of that genuine faith that is in you. Genuine. Other translations say sincere. One says unfeigned. You want to know unfeigned means not fake. So if you can have a sincere faith, what else can you have? Fake faith. And guess how much fake faith produces? Nothing. And it's frustrating because you're talking faith, right? You're saying all the things faith says. And how much is it doing? Nothing. Be honest. Be honest where you are in your faith. And I'll leave you with this thought, and this is what we need to spend some more time on later. Faith is progressive. It's a walk. We walk by faith, which means you take a step, and then you take another one, and then you take another one. But you don't take that one until you took the two before it. And that's what we've got happening right now in churches everywhere. People trying to take that step before they take this one. Faith is a walk and something comes up in their life and all of a sudden they need power for some major miracle, life-threatening this or that or the other. And they, well, I'm I'm a faith man. I'm just, I'm going to start talking to this thing. I'm going to start preaching at this thing. And they start saying all the right things and start saying all the right words. And in a short amount of time, very frustrated because it's either not working or it's getting worse. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? If I'm being honest with you, then I would say to you, okay, I hear what you're saying and it sounds good. What were you in faith on yesterday? What were you believing God for before all this came up? Because now you got this big life-threatening disease. Where was your faith yesterday? Because is this thing the next step? And if we're honest... I think many times we'd have to say no. But you can identify wherever you are in it. That doesn't mean you can't be in faith. Let's take something like that. Some, some sickness or some diagnosis you got from a doctor. You, God, be honest with me. Where am I? Let me be honest with you. I don't, I don't sense the kind of faith to speak to this thing and, tell, and see it go away. Where am I? You know what you might hear the Lord say? If you're honest, believe me. And I'll get you with the best doctor. I'll get you with somebody anointed. I'll get you with somebody that I can put my wisdom in if you'll believe me. What are you finding out? That's where I am. That's where I am. I got faith to believe for that. But what happens after you take that step? Then the Lord can lead you in something else. Believe me and we'll watch this thing dissolve. Believe me and we'll see this thing go away. My question for you and and others so much of the time, myself included, what were you in faith on yesterday? Because this is a walk. It's progressive. Be honest. Be honest. Because fake faith produces nothing. You follow me? 
Thank you, Lord. But if we'll be honest, tear down those walls of hypocrisy, get our hearts in the same place our mouth is, there's power in that. There's so much power in that that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. And if you can be saved, anything else is possible. I said, anything else is possible. Just when your heart and your mouth show up at the same place, at the same time, saying the same thing, there is power that results from that. But you got to be honest. Let me see the hands of the honest people. What, do we, what happens when our heart's pure? We see God. Stand on your feet with me. Sarah, would you come, please? Thank you, Lord. Man, I'm hungry. And I don't just mean for lunch. I'm hungry to see God. I want to see him when others don't. I want to see proof of him all around me. I want to see him when I look in the night sky. I want to see him when I look in my relationships. I want to see him at work in this body of believers. I want to see God do things only God can do. I want to see his word at work in my life, producing fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. But I got to be some good ground. This heart's got to be pure. No room for hypocrisy, no room for anything but the truth, the truth. Thank you, Lord. You got something you need to say about that? Will you you just say what you said in prayer the other day about people are trying to speak to the mountain? Yeah, I want to get into that when we talk more about that thorny ground. But when other things have... Other things have gotten planted and grow up in your life. That's that thorny ground. And you've got people trying to talk to mountains when they should be speaking to thorns. Where are you in your faith? Have you ever pulled up a thorn? And what business are you doing? What do you have trying to pull up a mountain? Start here. Start where you are. And if we'll catch things before they get deep roots. You ever pulled a weed that was that big? It takes all the strength of your index finger and thumb to get it by the root. But you let that thing grow and you let those roots grow deep, it takes more strength to get it out. That's why we got to guard this heart and keep anything else from getting in. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.